Hey, all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I'm back, at least for a moment. I do realize that it's like a thing that I just kind of come and go with this podcast. I've told you before that even my friends, <clears throat> Annie Downs, who has a real podcast, she makes fun of me and says that I just get tired and do podcasts whenever I want. Well, I'm back, and it's not because I was tired, but because I've had a hundred things going on, like all of you do. And I've said it to you a hundred times, and I hope that all 100 times that you receive it as permission to press pause on something in your own life so that you're hopefully treating your life like a garden. Sometimes you need to tend to the most pressing and precious things, knowing that the other things are fine to grow wildly on their own for a little bit. I trust that all of you are growing wildly on your own and that you've been blossoming and springing up and that there are some months that I can just pop in on you and say hello and we can spend some time together. This is one of those times. I will say it again when I do get back to this little gardening spot, no matter how long it's been, I have such a sense of joy spring up in me getting to prepare and record. It is life-giving when I get to circle back to this place, so that's a wonderful thing. My sweet friend, Shannon Scott, she spoke at our church for Mother's Day on seasons. And Shannon is our women's minister at our church, as well as being over the kids' ministry, which, hello, that's not a small job. Well, she's been a friend of mine for years and years, and she did a beautiful talk on seasons. And as she went through the different seasons, I was sitting there trying to determine which season I'm in. I think because of my wiring, my first thought is always, oh, I'm probably in winter again. (laughs) But I resisted the urge and she started talking and describing, you know, that spring is a time for planting, tilling the ground, sowing the seed, a time to prepare for what's ahead. Then of course, summer is a season of growth of what you just planted. The warm sun causes it to grow and mature. Then of course, autumn, as we well know, is harvest time which we finally get to bring in all that we've labored over and we get to enjoy the fruit of our labor. And then of course, winter, we've talked about a lot on this podcast. It's a time for things to lie dormant and to rest, a time to hibernate and let there be a necessary death to things. Well, it wasn't until the morning after that I was kind of sitting with it and I was pinpointing where I'm at. I think I'm beginning to walk the grounds in spring. Winter has come to an end, and I feel like I'm just now plotting and planning and looking for the best places to plant in my life. I'm a little bit behind, actually, where the season of spring is outside. I feel like there's still an occasional frost that I'm dealing with, (laughs) and nothing has quite sprung up yet. The other morning, Nathan and I went outside, and we walked our land, and we were trying to plot out a couple of things that we want to try to do this summer. We even took some firewood kindling that was sitting there, and we used it to sort of mark out a couple of projects that we want to do as far as landscaping and sort of adding to our little makeshift fire pit area that we already have. And that's what I feel like inside, that I'm like marking out some territory and making plans for places to expand that I've never expanded before. Well, I've just come out of a time where I sort of took myself off of the roster at leading at church. That's what we call it when you, you know, 
are on a rotation to lead worship, you're on the roster. Well, I took myself off of the roster, and I've just been sort of serving on a small level in the women's ministry, leading for some of their winter and spring gatherings. But on a larger scale, I needed to sort of crawl under a rock when I wasn't traveling. When I'm at home, I just wanted to attend church, as I've been telling you, sort of lead worship from the congregation with my kids right beside me. Part of that was to sort of cocoon myself as to not lose my love for leading from the stage. I find that I have to get proactive with rest and even letting a few things lie dormant in order to actually preserve and protect its life. Same with this podcast. I'd rather have fewer episodes sprinkled throughout for a season rather than just drop off the face of the earth for like ever. (laughs) When we landed here back in Franklin four years ago, I was sort of in this same spot. I sort of hit the ground running with plotting and planting, and I was able to then watch a harvest grow from that. This podcast was one of those things that sprang up from that time. Then, of course, the harvest of three albums, the Christmas album, The Thrill of Hope, and then, of course, Be Held, Lullabies for the Beloved that came along. It blossomed from that time, as well as the instrumental version of that. And it was a bountiful harvest, but then it was time to rest. So I feel like I'm sort of coming out of that rest out of that winter. And I'm emerging with such gratitude in my heart. Oh my goodness, this podcast, I honestly look back through my notes of this past season, and I'm just blown away how God has kept meeting me here all this time with something to share. I could not be more grateful to Him for that. And of course, for all of you who've listened and shared the podcast with your friends, I can't thank you enough. My hope for this time of growing a little quieter and smaller in these days with the podcast even is that I'm plotting and preparing and planting for a summer and an autumn season again with the glorious and the mundane. I do believe it will come again, but in the meantime, just sort of walking the land here, taking inventory and quietly planning. Also, many of you know that I'm finally writing a book. And I don't know if it's my foreness on the Enneagram, but it's taking everything I've got right now. (laughs) So that's another reason that the podcast is just a little quieter and smaller right now. It's the only way I know how to survive, honestly, with the amount of output I'm giving out. And of course, tending to the needs of my family always comes first. But you know, in the beginning, I told you that the podcast was sort of my book. Well, imagine that flipped around. The book is now taking precedence, and this is the only way I know to make it work. So I'm just trusting that God is sustaining all of this, holding it all together in His amazingness. Well, I am so excited to have all of my birdies back in the nest. I told many of you that our son Noah had the amazing opportunity to go to China for three weeks with one of his close friends. His friend's dad lives and works in China for part of the year, which is really cool. So they actually just had like an actual home to stay in. And his friend and his mother were going over to visit dad. So they took Noah along and that was his senior trip. We declared it because that's like trip of a lifetime. And as you know, Noah's graduating this month from high school. So I've been busy with planning on, you know, how to celebrate that, commemorate it well. In fact, we have family and friends coming in for a stay for a few nights around that celebration, and that has actually caused us to have to purge some rooms of clutter 
in order for people to get to the part where there's the bed and the sheets and a pillow. In fact, (laughs) this is a big one. We actually turned what we've always called the playroom since we've moved to this house into an actual guest room. It's like monumental. It was a sad day. And I love it that Annie Rose herself helped me. We did it all on our own. She's had that Ikea daybed in there. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. It's the big chunky white one with the big drawers at the bottom of it. And those were full of American Girl doll clothes and Barbies and Barbie clothes. We had so much fun going through memories of like pulling out different outfits and laughing at all the stuff that they had in there from their Barbie playing days. We packed up all the stuff that we wanted to keep you know, for grandkids, I'm already like thinking towards that, like, let's put stuff in like crates and put them up in closets so that, you know, your kids someday are going to have these. And we packed up what the girls called their cafe, which I think I've told you before was their favorite Christmas present when you're back in the Atlanta house days. But I had an old part of a chicken coop that we used to put our shoes in in a laundry room area that we had. And I took that, I cleaned it out, I painted it white. And then... I took the top wooden portion of the girl's dresser mirror from their nursery. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, just kind of like that old-fashioned ornate mirror casing with the like old-timey mirror that kind of flipped up and down. Well, that's what the girls had on top of their dresser. It was an antique. Well, I took that top part and I had Nathan attach it to that little chicken coop part. I know it's hard to explain. I'll try to find a picture of it for you, but we painted it all one color and it looked like a little storefront. And so the girls one year got a little cash register for Christmas. I bought them a bunch of pretend food from Hobby Lobby. They have the most realistic looking like donuts and cupcakes and fruit. So realistic that Annie and I noticed that there were several bite marks in the food. (laughs) But we had a little table and chairs set up in the old house with like a little tablecloth and they would create their own menus. And I even bought them little waitress pads like to take orders on. And they served Nathan and I lunch in there several times in their little cafe back in the day. So that was hard to pack up. Annie Rose and I recalled all kinds of memories as we were putting all that stuff up in this closet and both just declared, it's a new day. Our Annie Rose will be 12 next month. And I know that's not very old, especially be packing up like stuff like Barbies and dolls, but having an older sister is wonderful. And I wouldn't trade it for anything for Annie Rose but it does make little sister grow up a little bit faster than you're ready for. (laughs) Well, speaking of big sister, our Ellie girl went to Kenya. I'm not sure if you guys saw that on my Instagram or hers, but she went several weeks ago over spring break and had a life-changing experience. A part of me was actually afraid that she was never going to come back, meaning that she would phone me and just say, mom, I'm staying here. That's how much she has always wanted to go to Africa, and that's how much she loved it. She was so beside herself that it actually got to happen, and she just loved it. The morning that she flew out, I sent her a picture of myself at her age, at 16, when I went to Kenya. I think I've told you that story before on this podcast, but I told her I was never the same, and so she needed to savor every minute of that trip because I knew 
the same was going to happen to her, that she was never going to be the same. And she she came back and gave us a whole slideshow presentation of all of her shared pictures with their little group of girls. And she told us every detail. And I just loved watching her face and just watching her remember it and even savor it as she was telling us about it. I have a feeling that that won't be the only time that Ellie goes to Africa. I think it's the start of something for her, for sure. So anyway, it's been the sweet few weeks for us to all be back around the table again. I consider it a miracle in these crazy busy times to have all five of us gathered at the table. And as I've told you before, the table in our house remains this sacred place. It's the same farm table that we've had since Noah was born. And the five of us still gather there and regroup, even if it's just small talk or a game of trivia, it's connecting and I love it. My Mother's Day was wonderful and it was spent around that very farm table. We rested and even though I led that morning, I did lead worship from the stage that morning and we came home. Nathan had all the stuff prepared to grill steak and asparagus and made all by himself some Ina Garten mashed potatoes, which if you just Google Ina Garten classic mashed potatoes, you're golden. Then the girls helped him make the most delicious dessert. This is a recipe that I got from my friend, Shannon. It's Whitney Miller's Blueberry Pecan Crunch. Again, Google that and you're golden, which is sort of like a blueberry crisp, but it's just like a tiny bit more unhealthy than a normal blueberry crisp. (laughs) But It's so good, especially with homemade whipped cream that the girls made themselves. It was so divine. One of the things that I've been trying to establish, actually Nathan and I both with the girls, is that we eat clean Monday through Friday. For the most part, that means cutting out carbs on the weekdays, and we focus more on like lean meat and veggies and fruit during the week. And then on the weekends, we don't go completely crazy and buy junk food, but we allow ourselves some treats like Ina Garten mashed potatoes. And we have a little dessert here and there. And this is the way that Nathan and I have been able to maintain a healthy lifestyle over the last couple of decades, sort of a rhythm that we've been able to keep, at least for long seasons at a time. It's not a counting calories type thing. It's just knowing what you can have and only buying that Monday through Friday. And then having lots of snacking options to be able to graze throughout the day. One of our favorite little snacks is chicken salad and homemade egg salad made from a Whole30 mayo recipe, which I Googled. And then we put lots of fresh herbs in there and we eat that with some little almond crackers or celery sticks. But we've also started taking the girls with us to the store as part of their homeschool. We laugh, but I mean, it's true. We've gotten them in the store shown them how much stuff costs. And I will say that they get astounded right along with us over how much harder and more expensive it is to eat healthy and clean. It's like, you know, we're being punished for eating healthy and clean. It's a lot cheaper and easier just to buy prepackaged and processed foods. And we are not anti any of that stuff. We're just trying to keep an eye on all of it. And I love teaching them how to read the ingredients, to be aware of mainly how much sugar is in 
everything. But it's fun to watch them sort of create recipes on their own, some of them completely experimental in the kitchen. The girls kind of, you know, wanting a treat, but coming up with something made out of almond flour, coconut sugar, eggs, and bananas. (laughs) But I love that they're getting a sense of how to grocery shop even now and how even to tally it up as we go. Everyone actually takes a stab at how much the grocery bill is going to be, and we kind of have a little contest. So it's fun, and it's great practice for them to learn how to navigate eating clean, shopping clean, but then also, you know, to enjoy something sweet and rich every once in a while. So it's something that's to be savored and enjoyed rather than consumed every day all the time, and then it's no longer special. Well, as you know, our theme has been Come Magnify the Lord with Me. And I hope you've been encouraged as you've been reminded that you're not only a worshiper at the core of your being, made to worship the God who made you, but you're also a lead worshiper, a worship leader with your life. Well, today's podcast falls right in line with Come Magnify, as we're going to talk a little bit about experiencing God through tasting and seeing that He is good. I love that this takes us back where we actually started, Psalm 34, a few months ago as we started this Come Magnify the Lord series. Psalm 34, 8 through 10 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. When you look at that word taste in this verse, it actually means literally to taste, as with your taste buds. But it also means to perceive, and I love that. We can actually teach ourselves or ask God to help us to be more perceptive that the Lord is good. Being perceptive means that you have an awareness of your environment and you're able to experience your environment through your senses. So I actually think this is a really good prayer to pray. In fact, I've been praying it lately to just ask God to help me be more perceptive to His goodness, to be more aware of His presence, and to practice being responsive to His presence. I've just as I said, been praying this in my own life, I've had a couple of experiences lately that I was confronted with something when I was least expecting it. And I think because I've had so many other things on my mind, a lot of stuff going on, and like I said, kind of in a season of living under a rock, I think I wasn't able to be as perceptive and responsive as I would love to have been in that situation. And I've kind of carried it with me. My brother, Eric, This is a steady gift he has to be perceptive and responsive with people. I actually admire it a lot about him. And I think because of this, God entrusts him with scenarios that I probably couldn't even live through. For instance, one day, Eric was going to meet a friend to work on a project that they were both working on, and he was supposed to meet him at this little gas station, and they were in this little country town right outside of Atlanta. Eric was just sitting there in his car, quietly waiting, and this minivan literally tears into the parking lot and screeches to a stop, and several adults emerge from the car literally hysterically bawling and running around the parking lot. Well, Eric gets out of his car, 
which is the first thing that I probably would not have done. (laughs) And he goes over to one of the adults who's a man, and he starts asking him loudly, because the guy is literally hysterically crying. He starts asking him, how can I help you? And it literally takes Eric several times of asking all of them, but mainly this one man, I need to know how to help you. Finally, he looks at all of them and raises his voice and tells them, I cannot help you unless you calm down. Finally, the young man calms down and he is able to tell Eric that their grandmother is in the van and she had basically died while they were driving. So Eric runs to the car and gets the grandmother out of the car and calls for help, starts assessing the situation, assessing her. And sure enough, she was gone. And they're all still in hysterics. And Eric is trying to you know, figure out what to do. He's trying to comfort them. He's calming them. He's talking to them. And as the conversation keeps going, the story keeps unfolding. And he realizes the reason that they are all unusually hysterical is because they were on their way to the funeral of their grandfather, the woman that had just died, her husband. So they are all already grieving, driving their grandmother to her husband's funeral, and then the grandmother dies on the way to her husband's funeral. I'm not trying to make light of a very just sad situation, but this is what I mean. Perceptive and responsive people get entrusted with things like this. I admire it, and I kind of envy it in a way. It feels like Eric always has a story like that, and I know it's because in that situation, he's able to sort of assess the situation. He's able to be perceptive that the Spirit of God is near, and he's able to offer that in the situation. But I kid you not, like I said, this last week, I was confronted with a couple of situations that one of them I literally sort of stayed in my car. One reason is that I had Annie Rose with me and I felt very protective over her in the situation. But later it upset me because I was like, God, was I supposed to do something? You know, and it was fine. The person that needed help actually got help immediately, but, and it wasn't a life or death situation. It was a, it was a car. It was a stalled car. But I've prayed about it several times and just asked God, you know, make me more perceptive to what's going on around me and make me brave to be responsive so that I am offering this God who is good to the people around me. I want God to be able to count on me and entrust me with things like that. So wow, all of that just rattled off after just one verse. Taste and see, perceive and see that the Lord is good and that He is at work all around us. And sometimes we are going to be called on to perceive on behalf of people. And that's what I want to be ready for. It goes on to say, blessed is the man who takes refuge in God. We know this truth. This has been a recurring theme all throughout the life of this podcast to understand our need to take refuge in the Lord, to seek Him as a refuge of our lives, to emerge from Him as our refuge and be that refuge to the world around us. Then it goes on to say, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him have no lack. Obviously, the verse right before this said that the Lord is our refuge. So we know that fearing Him cannot possibly mean to run away from Him in terror. So it's not that kind of fear. It means to revere Him. Good old Webster's Dictionary says, Show devoted deferential honor, which means highly respectful honor or to regard as worthy of great honor. Basically, 
to know deep down that He is worthy of our lives, all of our honor and our worship today. It says that those who live like this will have no lack. They will want for nothing. It even says in verse 10 that young lions suffer want and hunger. I I wonder if this sort of plays into the fact that they have a primal instinct and they're able to pounce on things and kill and eat. But even in that, there's kind of a circle of life that God made out in the great wild plains of Africa. It kind of is what it is. And even lions who are innately made to hunt still sometimes have lack and have to kind of just fend for themselves out there in the hunting game. But God is saying here, you don't have to fend for yourself. You don't have to leave things up to the circle of life. You don't have to look to any primal instinct or pounce on stuff. God is saying, if you seek me, you will have no lack. You will lack no good thing. It's not all up to you like you think it is. God is saying, I'm your refuge and I will provide for you if you will just seek me, perceive where I'm working, see what I'm doing, see that I'm enough for all of you. Well, I'm super excited that my guest today is my friend, Margaret Feinberg. She came to my home the other day and I recorded her talking about her new wonderful book called Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. Margaret was here in town speaking at our church for our women's event the other night, which is now called The Haven. Some of you are probably wondering, what happened to the well? I used to talk about the well. The well didn't really morph into The Haven. It was just that Rebecca and Lauren and I came upon new seasons with different loads. As you know, Rebecca Lyons adopted sweet little Joy from China, and she's doing amazing settling into her new home. And we call her the Joy Bomb, and she is just that. You cannot not smile and giggle when you're around her. And then Lauren Tomlin, she has two littles, two little girls. And of course, she's walking alongside her husband right now with this amazing foundation called Angel Armies. If you want to know more about it, look up angelarmies.com. They're aiming to give a voice to the foster care and orphan crisis in the United States. Their website says, through equipping the source of the solution, which is the church, with tools and support needed to solve this issue once and for all. I love that. The source of the solution is the church, and they're giving tools and support through that to solve the issue. And I've watched Lauren and Chris walk by faith in this little venture, which is turning out to not be so little after all. And I'm watching God bring people to the table to help fund it. And it has boosted my faith, just hearing the stories and watching it grow. And of course, you know all the things in my world. So the three of us who are still very close friends decided to go to our church leadership and seek counsel. And kind of where we all landed on for the moment was to free our church to pursue women's ministry, which at the time we started the well, there wasn't anything in place because we were still very much a new church and still are a new church. But now we do have that women's minister who I told you is my friend, Shane and Scott, and they've been able to walk forward ultimately, which has been beautiful. And we want to be about supporting the local church. And if that means giving way to the well and giving way for the haven, then that's what we want to do. And it's been neat to see our little women's ministry get off of the ground and not just get off the ground, but now it's blossoming and it's been beautiful. So I got to watch the other night at the Haven. Margaret came and shared. We had all of these beautiful tables set for the women. 
and to experience sort of Margaret's book of Taste and See. As Shannon got up to intro Margaret and kind of open the night, she shared that experiencing God through taste can actually be worship. And I'm ashamed to say that I kind of hadn't put that together, at least in a really long time, or even thought about that recently, that taste can actually be a part of worship, experiencing God with a sense of taste. And so she prayed before the women got to literally taste and see around the table as they had beautiful bread and dipping sauces and sort of a charcuterie type experience. And Margaret took us literally to the abundance of Jesus, the bread of life, and came back around to the power of the gospel for our everyday lives through taste and through studying all kinds of food and how God correlated the life of Jesus even to food. And I love that. And it was beautiful. I have chills even now thinking about it. It was such a beautiful night. And I hope that you get to experience this. I've said many times, the world outside and the enemy who rules that world continually sets a trap for us. But I love that Jesus every day continually sets a table and you are always invited. His table covers everything. Psalm 23 says that He even sets it right in front of our enemies today. He anoints our head with oil. And I've told you before, as Jenny Shute says, He anoints us even when we can be our own worst enemy. He still anoints us right there at the table. He fully accepts us in spite of our own self-content, our addictions, our pious self-righteousness, she says, and even our wounds. We don't have to go around to other tables today to beg for scraps. We're invited to His table where there's always enough. We don't beg for scraps at His table either. We have a seat. He knew we were coming. He prepared ahead. You even have a place card with your name on it. You were invited. And to think we get to share and invite others to this table. That is enough. There is no lack at His table We don't have to fear that there's not enough to go around. Whatever it is that you need today, there's enough to go around. He is enough. Enjoy this conversation with my friend, Margaret Feinberg. Well, I am so excited to be sitting here with Miss Margaret Feinberg in my home in the flesh. This is dreamy, absolutely dreamy, and your home is gorgeous, and we're sitting here drinking this amazing tea that is your favorite. It's called The Vocalist. Who makes it? The Vocalist. Oh, gosh. Now you said that, and I have to get up and make sure. Who is it? Java Tea Co. Ooh, they are doing, I mean, it is so yummy. So what is that? I mean, we have to tell people. It's Java Tea Co. You can Google it, and The Vocalist, and then you can be drinking the same cup of tea that we are right now. Yes. And they're an awesome company. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they even send me a free one, like I was telling you, because I think they're believers. Because mm-hmm. at least I figure that if they knew my music. So mm-hmm. if they're listening to worship music, surely. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if the listeners can hear this, but in the background, your daughter is humming and she doesn't even know mm-hmm. she's doing it. And it's so beautiful. She has her headphones on. Oh, She's locked into her homeschool. Mm-hmm. Abeka Academy. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to give ads for everything today. We're also using unfiltered honey from weeks. It's amazing. <laughs> amazing. Well, um, I got to see you a couple of months ago in your home turf. 
in Utah, which was really fun. We got to go out there and go skiing. It was in February. And you, I reached out. We were connecting, I think, since maybe if and told you we were coming out there. And y'all, you have to know that her and her husband life, they showed up at our little place that we were getting to stay for free, I might add. That was so precious that a family let us stay there. But um, they brought us, I, I mean, so much food. <laughs> <laughs> they brought food to our little ski chalet. And we had a little winter's night meal. It was like um, brisket and potato salad and beans and charcuterie. And it was wonderful. Thank love, you. You are welcome. I love that you still remember the menu. Yeah. Extraordinary. <laughs> confesses you're a food lover. Oh, it was so good. And we got to just kind of catch up. We didn't get to ski together, but maybe that will happen because you were a ski instructor. Is yes. that? <laughs> yes. This is one of my secret past jobs. Do people know this about you, you I think? Don't, I don't know how many people know that. This is um, wonderful. Early on in my uh, writing career, you know, I, I started writing reviews in the back of magazines for about 15 cents a word. And I don't, I don't know if you know how many articles at 15 cents a word you need to write. And the answer is all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to pick up side jobs. And yeah. one of them was being, you know, a kid's adventure counselor, uh, camp counselor. But I was also a kid's ski instructor for five years. <sighs> And would take kids out and just try to show them the best possible days of their life. Mm -hmm. And I would love it because the moms would come. And I don't know how many listeners have been skiing before, but, you know, like, it is exhausting. Like, it is a sport where you're like boots and poles and skis and you're carrying all this often you know with the help partially of your child who's struggling to walk on the ski and these moms and dads would show up just sweaty and (laughs) exhausted. And I'd be like, okay, take a breath, take a beat. Give me all of that equipment, and you, you go have a great day. Go shopping, go to the spa, go sit in the hot tub. <laughs> like, whatever you need, I'm going to take this burden off of you. And you could just see them go, okay, 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 okay. But yeah, um, I love skiing. And I actually, um, one, of my, one of my other secret accomplishments, and I, I consider it like one of the great accomplishments of my life, is I actually have the privilege of serving um, several times a year as a ski chaplain. Oh, I love that. And so going up the side of a ski mountain and having oh. a, a about a 15-minute church service in ski boots and equipment and people showing up from all over the country and the world, it mm. is... Do you ride so the fun. lift and, like, yes. everything? Yes, all the things. All <laughs> the things. so fun. So if you're a beginner, you may not be able to make it up to the ski chapel. We're, right. We're not, we're not trying to discriminate, <laughs> but, but you do have to, like, you've got to be able to ski. Like, you got to know some basics. Yeah. Basic. To get in the word with, with you. Yeah. Basic, basic blue slope, maybe. You know, we could push it on greens, but, but if you ski a blue, it's a lot more safe for you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's so fun. And was it your mom? An instructor? Or? Yeah. yeah. My parents taught. So you've kind of, yeah. Yeah, 17 raised. years combined. I mean, we spent so thousands of days on a ski mountain. Mm. So fun. Well, it's so random and probably for another podcast, but that's just one of our favorite family things that we've ever done together. Like all five of us can, you know, do that together. And it's because of ski instructors, because the very first time we went, we just put all three of them for one day, a private lesson, and it was the best money spent because then we could all ski together uh, the next, you know, few days. And then this next year, they just, it was like riding a bike. They remembered and 
picked it up again. So, Christy, I feel like what you've done is just offered a very important public service announcement. <laughs> and that is, as a ski instructor, okay, as a paid professional ski instructor, if you go to a ski mountain and maybe you've never skied before and your friend tries to take you to the top of the mountain, the right. answer is no. That's nothing right. good will come of that. <laughs> if they want to take your kids who have never skied before to the top, nothing good. Uh-uh. You uh-uh. put them in ski school. Right. Not just for like their protection and their safety, but also when you give them those foundational skills. And I know it looks a mm-hmm. little f- expensive on the front end. It's not. It's the yeah, best investment. It really is. They're going to have this this lifelong ability yeah. to... To ski and to feel safe and to feel mm-hmm. confident. Because once somebody gets scared on skis, it's very hard to recover from. Yeah, it's true. And they just do better with oh. someone else besides you trying to teach them. So, Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Parents teaching kids is rough, <laughs> rough and tumble. It's not a good look. It's not, a look of, it's not for anyone. Uh, well, I'm excited because you, you were in town um, and you got to do our, you spoke at our women's thing at our mm-hmm. church last night in Franklin, which was just so beautiful. And I will say it was specifically like sweet to me because, you know, our mutual friend, Shannon Scott, who is, is our women's minister at our church. Um, she's new. And, and, and so I've watched her like get to build this thing and it's built into this really sweet community of women and to look out last night and, so there were like, I don't know how many tables. I don't know how many people were there. Do hundreds you? and hundreds yeah. and hundreds. And they had set up all these beautiful tables to experience your new book, which is called Taste and See. And I've got to get the little subtitle right. Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. Mm-hmm. So they had like they had the music playing. The lights were low lit. They had all these tables set out. And there was charcuterie. There were there was bread that was wrapped in these little like what was it like little um, cloth cloth with rosemary tied around it and candles and olives and dips and it was beautiful. It was one of the most stunning events that I've ever seen. And yeah. what I loved about it was I feel like it brought out the experiential nature. I mean, yeah. you led us in the most sweet, gentle, beautiful worship. And set the mm-hmm. set the course, and then here are here are in essence these these little you know the church when it was founded was found around a table, mm-hmm. and and I think yeah. if I can trace back even in Genesis it was founded around a table that when God met with the original couple they didn't just walk and talk in the cool of the day I think they noshed and they nibbled they mm-hmm. plucked those figs and they reached and grabbed a pomegranate as mm-hmm. they were with God and so so this gathering around the table mm-hmm. and last night that's what we were doing tables with food the first half hour was just spent talking getting to know each other yeah, these adorable that. little signs were up that said come sit with us and then once the table was full you were invited to pull down that sign so that Everybody knew where there was space still to sit and That's feel welcome. So yeah. And and I love that because I think it's so well just it encapsulated and demonstrated the experiential nature of coming around the table, tasting and seeing God's goodness, mm-hmm. and then the opportunity to start to unpack that in scripture. I love it. Well, I know that books like these take a lot of time. So to kind of <laughs> tell me. Tell me just the adventure of this and like sort of when it first started stirring and how it came about. Because I just, when this, when I got this in the mail and and I saw it, just the cover is gorgeous and it makes me wish I had these white marble countertops, but, (laughs) um, but it's just gorgeous. Like it's, you see this, you know, bread and the rosemary and on the actual cover of the book, but, um, it's gorgeous. And I was so excited to 
get into it right when I got it because it's just even like so pleasing to the eye. But how did this come? Yeah. So for the book and the succession DVD Bible study, Taste and See, I, um, you know, I've actually been sitting on this idea 10 years. Really? Okay. I thought maybe mm-hmm. it's been a while. It's been a while. And I think sometimes we have ideas and I'm sure in songwriting mm-hmm. too. And you're like, this is the moment. And other ones you just sit back and you mm-hmm. hold it and that mm-hmm. lyric or that churn, whatever that is. Uh, and so I've been sitting this on 10 years and, um, the last book I wrote was called Fight Back with Joy, and it was about a you know a battle with cancer. And it was so painful to write that I was kind of scared to, to write again. And mm-hmm. I had some friends who sent me down and had a little intervention. I was like, "If Margaret, if you want to be a writer, you, you have to write." And I was like, "But I don't want to go back. It hurts so bad." Yeah. And um, finally, they you know they were just like, "You just have to do this." Yeah. And so so began to say, "Okay, I, I really want to take a look at food in the Bible." And so this journey, as I started, if you start to look for food in the Bible, you will discover that it pops and sizzles on almost every page. Mm. It is wild. It is constantly present. And so so I had to identify and kind of zero in that focus. And so I looked at six different foods in the Bible and began to find the people who plant and process and procure them. Mm. And, um, and people who didn't just mass manufacture, but people who had an artisanal nature, who cared very deeply about the quality quality and the process of what they were producing and trying to create that which was both flavorful and beautiful. And so this journey took me um, to go fish in the Galilee. It took me to bring in an olive harvest in Croatia. Mm. I traveled to Madera, California to pluck figs with one of the premier fig farmers in the United States. I um, went 410 feet down into a salt mine. I, I tracked down an expert on ancient grains who happened to be the head of Yale University Divinity School and cold called him and invited myself to his house to make <laughs> bread for an afternoon, right? Because that's what normal people do. And I even um, I even traveled to McKinney, Texas to, to graduate from a Steakology 101 course no with a man who calls himself the Meat Apostle. And with each of these individuals, just began opening up the scripture, identifying those passages that talked about the food that they knew so much about and said, how do you read these passages? Not as theologians, but in light of what you do every day. And their Mm -hmm. answers changed the way that I read the Bible forever. And there's something about getting to know these foods on a granular level that starts Mm to unlock these deeper meanings in scripture. And really, it's not, it's not a hidden meaning, but it is what the ancient Israelites, what the disciples, what they would have been thinking and knowing because they knew, they knew fig trees. They right. knew olive trees. I don't live in the Mediterranean, so I don't know these things. Yeah. And to go and, and do that really hands-on research, it was yeah. an incredible, incredible adventure. Yeah, it's just, it's so amazing even how you were, you went through like maybe four of those foods last night didn't you yeah just um, a handful of the them. bread and olives and um I just loved even just the yeah it's just the context of what they would have known in those days that we just couldn't possibly know just by first glance at reading the scripture so it's just so neat so it maybe not necessarily is like hidden like you said but it's just context and so you were talking about um bread and even the darker uh, flour that goes into barley, right? Mm-hmm. And how 
um, in the miracle. Can you tell about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah I love so that. It's fascinating. So I think when we think about bread in the Bible, we picture what we see, which mm-hmm. was often like a big white loaf of bread. And that was not what yeah. Jesus or the disciples would have been eating. Um, in antiquity and throughout all of human history, bread has always been a social marker. Yeah. Wealthy people eating the white bread and the peasantry, the vast majority of the population, other than the elite, eating darker grains. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is that darker grains are more easy to grow. They're resistant to pestilence. They're resistant to drought. And so you can produce those mm-hmm. much more easily. Whereas the white flour re- requires a lot of refining and even in growing you know, more of a white grain or a whole wheat grain, you're only going to get a tiny percentage of that white flour. So that all went to the wealthy. And so in the time of Christ and the disciples, for them, you also have to recognize that bread was not the accompaniment to the meal. Bread was the meal. The daily mm. diet was bread, bread, and more bread. And, and in that time period... I mean, that's how they survived. Mm-hmm. And at times, for those who didn't have much, they would take, they were responsible. There wasn't a bread store. They would have to go down and they would have to, you know, till the land, plant the seeds, mm-hmm. grow the wheat. As, as in Jewish culture, you would always pray as each seed went into the ground, mm-hmm. trusting God that that would produce a harvest. Then you had to go through the process of, of blowing away the chaff, of grinding down the grain, of making those loaves. And so for them, you know, if they if they had just a little bit of a fish sauce or a little bit of a fruit mix to, to dip the bread in to soften it, that that was that was amazing. But again, it was just bread, bread. And and sometimes when they didn't have a lot, they would go out and they'd pick leaves or they'd pick grass and blend it into their dough just to add a little bit more nutrient. And so so to think that we live in a world now today where we go to the grocery store and those dark grain, big artisanal loaves, those are like 6 or $7 a loaf. Right. And the white bread that is mass commercially produced, you can yeah. buy that for 99 cents. This is mind-bending for, yeah. for humanity throughout history. And so in that moment in John chapter 6, when mm-hmm. Jesus takes the loaves, we start to notice that, that John, this, this miracle is so significant. It, it is the only miracle other than the, the resurrection that appears in all four Gospels. So when we see Jesus multiplying the bread, we, we should be like spiritually heightened to pay attention. Mm-hmm. And that of all of the Lunchables that he could have chosen that day, think about it. I mean, you've got 5,000 men, <laughs> not counting them. I mean, there was food, okay, right? Like there were granola bread. There was a lot going on there. And he, he chose the Lunchable of bread and fish, and, and he chose the barley bread. Mm. the food of the poor and in word and in deed is confessing solidarity with the poor and then he takes that and, and he takes it he blesses it he breaks it and he gives it mm. and in that precious act it multiplies and you've got the disciples who are living in the scarcity model of there's not enough we don't have enough there's not enough money to buy the food there's too many people here and then you have this boy who's just offering up what is not just the lunchable of him but is likely for his whole family mm-hmm. traveling and making this journey to listen to Jesus and offering it freely and wholly in an abundance mentality mm. and you see the sharp contrast between the scarcity of the disciples and the abundance of the boy. And Jesus takes it and it is multiplied so much, so much that there are 12 baskets gathered up. And there are whole portions that are filling those baskets. And I think it challenges us mm-hmm. that so often we're, we're, we're like the disciples. We're questioning, well, there's not enough. Or, or maybe if there is enough, there, the, you know, if, if she or he got this, then there won't be for me. Right. Or that we tell God what is not possible. Right. We tell God, mm-hmm. you know, that this this situation that I'm in, I'm going to be in this forever. And he says, oh, 
child of mine, do you not know that I am the bread of life? That I have come that you may live in abundance. That I will meet you right where you are. Mm. That I want to set you free of that scarcity thinking. That you would walk in greater trust, greater generosity, greater freedom than you ever have before. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Man, I needed to hear that last night about the scarcity thing and just how in that mentality all you see is your lack. It's and valid. And that can, and how you... You talked about just kind of hoarding ketchup packets. <laughs> and how it can, it can show up in little yeah. ways in our lives. And, we're just, and it's like a place where we're literally not trusting the Lord. And it's like exposes yeah. something so much deeper. Yeah. So yeah, I needed to hear that. As, you know, as, I mean, the Lord's been working on me on this, the scarcity metallic. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, scarcity, I'll just trust in abundance. I'll be like, okay, God can provide, God can provide. And then I open that secret kitchen door, door, <laughs> the one with like, it's like, it's bad. I just feel like there's a collection of random straws and plastic forks. Some of them are just like brown or gray or black or clear <laughs> or white. And then like random napkins from restaurants. And I remember <laughs> opening the store and thinking, what am I doing? I mean, I literally like we shop at Costco. We have like four thousand napkins and like big tubs of ketchup bottles. And I am I am hoarding. I am hoarding these tiny things. And it was like in that moment, the Holy Spirit was like, "Do, do you see where you're not even trusting? Like these yeah. little things." And, it, yeah. and it's not it's not about those things. And again, if you need to take those, you take those things. You stock them up, and you call me, and I will get you ketchup. And that's totally, yeah. yes. But like, <laughs> but we we have these little ways where. It, we, it creeps into our lives and we don't yeah. even realize it. Like, mm-hmm. we have so much ketchup. Why am I holding on to ketchup packets? Yeah. Why Why am I living a life of of, of settling for crumbs mm-hmm. and even fighting for crumbs and worrying about crumbs when, when the Holy Spirit says, I want to give you the whole portion. Yeah. I am the bread of life. Yeah. I have everything you need. That's so good. And so sometimes a spiritual discipline of just getting rid of those things Mm. helps move us on the track of saying god in, in prayer and indeed i i want this abundance mentality yeah i think last night was probably the most vocal i've ever heard our women um mm. during a message like that they were very vocal didn't you think like the way they responded to you i just thought it was really beautiful for them to be sitting around the table they had all you know been able to partake of this little meal together and they had tea and their little, you know, special little bubbly drink. I think they had sparkling waters and different flavors and it was just sweet to, to see them getting to receive together and then hearing that, that he's the bread of life, that he's enough, um, how you spoke into that. Um, but kind of while ago when we were just talking, you talked about how just for women food is messy and sometimes can look like, I know for me, I've talked about it on my podcast before of just, um, kind of the load of feeding a family and having to think through it and going shopping and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I would love just to hear kind of more what you mean by that, of just of God redeeming something. I felt like last night was definitely, I could see that happening of women getting to like enjoy, like tasting and seeing that he is good and, but also literally tasting it and enjoying him in a new way. So I'd love to hear that. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I have a messy relationship with food, and, and I would think most people do. I mean, especially particularly the women. We mm-hmm. just, it, just for so many different reasons. I know for me, I was put on my first diet at the age of nine. 
And so for me, food has always been a, a, mm. a point of wrestling and a battle. Um, mm-hmm. Struggled with eating disorders in college. Mm. Um, and, and so food has been a place of pain. It's a place of joy and pleasure, yeah. but also this fear of what is enough, what is too much, when have I eaten too much and then I feel bad, and what foods are these weird judgment titles we put on food, like this food is good and this food is bad. Right. When I started to do this research and taste and see, it was like I had to pull back a seat from the table and say, okay, I have all of this baggage and this weight regarding food and I really want to understand what God says about food and what I began to see is in God's world there is no good food or bad food something that has higher calories it's not bad Mm -hmm. it is still the gift of a good and loving God Mm -hmm. and that from his perspective I mean think about it he could have made us humanity Christy you and I could have been made where we lick rocks or metal in order to survive, <laughs> right, right? right? And instead, God gives us a tongue with tens of thousands of taste buds and receptors. Mm. And then he creates creation in such a fashion that there are these myriad of flavors of fruits and vegetables and meats and, and so much provision and saltiness and, and, and spices that we would just have this incredible bouquet mm. and this feast to dine on. And, and I think that as I began to look at scripture, what I began to discover is that at its core, food is God's love made edible. Mm-hmm. That in mm-hmm. each bite, we are reminded of a God who in order to have that food, he had to hang the sun and, and, and spin you know, that sun. And he had to decorate the sky with all the stars and create the seasons and, and fashion creation in such a way that it was mm-hmm. the sustaining, beautiful life force that through what he has created, we would be given life. Mm. And and a, and a human can only live so many days without eating. Mm. There's a hard stop on that. Yeah. And so God is constantly using food, I think, to draw our hearts back to himself mm. if we allow. I know in, in Genesis, it, it's easy to look and say, okay, well, there was that original couple, and, and they ate the forbidden food, the, the fruit. And yet even after that, God does not push food to the side, but he keeps using it through the words of the prophets and the priests in order to draw people's hearts back to himself. I mean, mm. Jesus, when he shows up, he reveals himself as bread stuff, as food stuff. I mean, think about it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> here's the very son of God, right? This is the king of the universe comes down mm. and he's like, I'm bread. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm the vine. I'm, I'm wine. I'm, I'm, you know, and you're yeah. like, wait, what, what? And it's so that when you and I gather around a table we start to recognize that there is this, this literal feast, and it's not just about the food. It is a mm-hmm. sense that since the beginning, God, I believe, has been wanting to pull up a chair to our tables. It is why right now we're in the season of Pentecost, mm-hmm. and I'm so expectant for the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and in the story of Acts that I've just been basting my spirit in and my life in, like, God just keeps showing up around the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's as the saints are gathered around the table that the, the prayers and the, the strengthening and the life-giving and the evangelism and all of this is happening around mm-hmm. the table. And so food was never meant to be this junky, baggage-laden way that I saw it. It was right. meant to be the gift received of a good and loving God. I love that. So beautiful. Redeems. Yes. So much. Yeah. yeah. Redeems it all. It does. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Talk about setting the table for others. What does mm, that yeah. look like? Yeah. I think I think we did what we often do. So we um we do not have children. Mm-hmm. We have a very cute puppy named Hershey. <laughs> who I have. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hershey Hershey travels a lot. Yes. He gets around. <laughs> he gets around. <laughs> like, yeah, he travels a lot. Um but sometimes 
for us around the table, we recognize that like for some of our friends, they have young kids or they're coming in and they've got a busy, hectic schedule on their vacation. And we're like, rather than have you come to us, we will just bring the meal to you and partake of that meal. And so that can be home cooked. That can be, you know, takeout, but that Mm -hmm. sense of, of recognizing that what you know, what God wants to do is often around a table. And so my, or the way we have people over has changed radically since the writing of this book. Um, we are now looking for ways to gather people around a table that disarms them. And so a couple ways we do that is when you come to our house, we live in the West, so we ask you to take off your shoes. Yeah. It's just standard procedure out there. Yeah. And then we set up a charcuterie, cheese and meat in, in the center island of our kitchen. Because we know the kitchen is the heartbeat of the home. Yeah. Everybody knows when you come over, everybody just, they don't want to hang, they don't want to come to your kitchen. Yeah. And so we, we create that space and talk for maybe 45 minutes, an hour. And then, you know, then when we eat, we don't eat at the, at the formal dining room because it can feel so formal. Yeah. If somebody has a medical condition, absolutely. But we eat in the living room. Yeah. And we eat on the couch. We, eat, we have people sit on the floor. It sounds so strange. But we're trying to create this disarming situation where mm-hmm. you just feel like you're at home. We always make sure that when you come over, I've now decided there's a pile. There's at least one messy pile that I leave out because I want you to know that we have piles and we have mess. And Mm -hmm. so I just leave it as almost like a sacred space of my messiness (laughs) so that you know you're coming in to to our mess and Mm -hmm. and we want to be welcomed in yours and that reality. And before people come over, I I didn't used to do this, but I spend time in prayer, praying for each person and for the time. And that the Holy Spirit will show mm. up. And when guests are coming over, often they'll say, what can we bring? And my new answer is, especially if they're a person of deep faith, I'll say, you know what? I don't want you to bring anything except your prayers that God would show up, the Holy Spirit would show up, and that um, and that we would, we would come with expectation of what mm. God wants to do. And what I've seen is that, you know, I've, we have a lot of people over. We'd have maybe a dozen different people over and... Um, and and maybe we'd have that really like heart connection, that spiritual moment, you know, maybe maybe one or two out of a dozen times. And now it's hitting 10 or 11 out of 12 times yeah. uh, with that intentionality, that prayer, that preparation. Mm-hmm. And somewhere during the night asking the question, based on wherever the person is in their spiritual journey, where is God or the divine or the Holy Spirit showing up in your life? Mm. And when you start to ask that question, you will you will see hearts start to unlock about what are the real struggles, what's mm-hmm. really going on, and move the conversation to an intentional, deeper level. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking, you've been talking in this series just about us as worships, worshipers, yeah. us as priests and who we're called to be. And that includes being a priest at the table. Mm-hmm. And to recognize that when you are setting a table, you, you are the priest of that time in that space, and that you can be intentional about about having those moments, those questions that you can ask to invite people into deeper connection mm. and experiencing God in their midst. I love it. Our little Annie, who you know, she's our youngest. Um, she, anytime anyone comes over, and, and especially like if it's like one of Noah's friends or like it's more of kind of like a rowdy type, you know, night, everyone's talking. And she, um, 10 times out of 10, brings trivia to the table like cards trivia cards (laughs) but it's so sweet how like innately she knows that it unlocks Mm -hmm. something you know what I mean like even if you just start there and Mm -hmm. it just it breaks the ice you know and Mm -hmm. um the other night he had a a friend over and it's a friend that's a girl and they're riding together but it just um 
you know, it was a little bit quiet and I kind of looked over at Nathan and like, was like, you know, like cute, like tell him, put some music on. Like it was just kind of quiet. (laughs) Realizing that we hadn't kind of thought through Mm. the vibe and, you know, like, but that's just so wonderful to think like not only the music, but Mm -hmm. praying in advance. Like that's just such a beautiful thing that I'm going to hold on to even after this interview, but just, but figuring out those ways, you know, to even, you know, with her, just Annie, you know, thinking of on her own just has always done the trivia thing, but it, we have these questions that are kind of like either beat the parents or, um, you know, kind of try to like do stuff from our generation and theirs. Like, so you have to kind of try to like, um, you know, figure out what you know from, you know, either generation, which is really fun. But then there's just this, she has, we have another flip card set that's like a little bit deeper questions, Mm -hmm. you know, like who was your favorite teacher growing up or, Mm -hmm. which that's not really deep, but it can take you to a a deeper place as far as if you're just with a group of people that you don't know each other at all. And so I, I love that that's in her heart that Mm -hmm. she brings up to the table. But, and I also love, I'm going to use that from now on of just setting the table way far in advance Mm -hmm. and leaving out a pile of crap if I need to (laughs) as well. (laughs) So thank you for that. We will all receive that. So (laughs) you don't put away all your piles anymore. It's actually, it's so liberating for me because I was raised in a house where you put away all your piles. One day I was like, why am I, let's just leave it. Just be a human. Yes. We have several. I'll show you. They're in the laundry room. And then, and then, um, there was a big pile here, and then there actually is one in the living room. Did, we just shoved it right out of the way. Because, because I was coming over? Probably. Oh, no. I think <laughs> I leave all the piles. Nathan moved it, but it was right in front of the door. It's a good, oh. it's a goodwill pile. Oh. But, um, yeah. That's awesome. So, tell me, what was your favorite mm. of all of, I know it's probably mm. hard to pick, of the adventures you went on? Yeah. You know, I talk about this one in both the, the book and the Bible study, This, um, but, but going down 410 feet into a salt mine, it was, it was wild. I, I'm I, trying to get 410 feet in my brain. Yeah. Right? And so it was this, we, we actually drove in, and, and you just drive down and down. It's dark, okay. it's dark, dark. There are uh, metal doors that open, and then it, the road splits, and you keep going because it's, it's going underground. And, um, and... I didn't realize, so back to the 410 feet, uh, we, we, we come out in front of this large drill that's drilling into the side of this, this salt mine. The truck comes to a stop. They blink the, the lights twice, signaling to, to turn off that machinery. And I open the door, and do you know what I hear? Nothing. 410 feet down, it is deafening Sad. silence. And yeah. it's, it's, I'm standing on salt as I climb out. The whole walls, everything is salt. Is it white? Or is it? No. Okay. That's what's, that's what shocked me. Uh, it was actually almost like a, a pink and, mm-hmm. a, and there were areas that were like almost a brown. And, and what was happening is that the salt is not like the, the chemically altered stuff since 1924, fi- you know, fortified with iodine, with the gal with the yellow dress on. You sure. know what we're talking about? Yeah. yeah. But rather, <laughs> salt when it's mined comes from its original source its original background Mm -hmm. and so um so the red came from the iron the brown from the magnesium and and as we went to the edge of the of the cave i remember my host neil he wiped away that that salt dust because it was literally it it snows dust because the machine had just been Mm -hmm. been working so it's snowing salt all over you and he wipes it away and it is so stunningly beautiful Wow. It is, I mean, I could not say, wow, wow, gasp enough in that moment. Wow. And, um, 
And, and Neil was gracious enough to send several chunks of this home with me. And I remember realizing in that moment that, you know, for Jesus and the disciples, and, and the, he delivers on the Sermon on the Mount the Beatitudes, and then he makes this declaration, you are the salt of the earth. Mm. And I always thought that that was, you know, the white chemically altered salt. But whether the disciples and Jesus were e- enjoying the salt from the Dead Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, or the salt mines in Israel, all of that salt was all harvested with its surrounding minerals. In the same way that you and I, we are hewn, we are fashioned with our unique backgrounds, where we came from, our personalities, our strengths. And I think when God and Jesus is calling us the salt of the earth, he's saying, I want to use all of you. Mm. I want to use even those darker parts, those those areas that you want to hide, those Mm. things that you want to pull back on. Those are the very things I want to use to bring the flavor of Christ to this world. It was fascinating because as Neil held one of those large stones of salt to me, there was kind of this brown streak again from the magnesium coming down the middle. And so there's kind of the, 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 the pink and the peach and then the white part. And he goes, do you know which part that the chefs want the most, the ones that they will order from us? It's actually those darker areas because they know that it is those darker, more mineral-rich areas that will bring out the highest and the lowest notes in the meals that wow. they are preparing. And I thought, so what, cool. what about you and me? Yeah. We want to hide our darker parts. Mm. We want to tuck those away. And Christ is like, oh, no, no, no. Do you not know? Mm. Have you not heard? Yeah. Those darker parts, that's what I'm going to use mm. to reflect myself to this world as you are the salt of the earth. I love it. That's so awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming over and just sharing all of this. And I know people are, I, mean, mm. I know people, a lot of people have already gotten this book, but... Mm. I'm glad to get to be a part of just hearing about it last night and experience it and then to have you here and get to share as especially part of this season of come magnify the Lord with me. I loved that um, Shannon last night, she opened with saying, you know, our pastor just recently said it's rare that we get to experience the Lord through taste or worship him mm-hmm. through taste. And I loved even just being reminded of that, especially as we're going into like, I think about like our little vegetable stand mm-hmm. down there um, towards downtown Franklin that I love to stop at. This is like my favorite time of year with like tomatoes and cucumbers and all of the, the yummy things that are in season. And just remembering that as I go into summer, of just, just experiencing his abundance um, in those places where, I might not be trusting and, but to experience all that. And like you said, redeeming areas where food has been a stronghold or messy for us and, um, or a weight. And I just love it. So thank you for just sharing it of your life with us. You're welcome. And for those who, I don't know if, if, if I'm the only one struggle sometimes about just sharing my faith, Mm -hmm. you may be wondering like, how do I reach, you know, neighbors and others who just don't even don't 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 want to come to church. And it, what's beautiful and what we've seen is both through the book and the Bible study um, that you can invite friends over. People are inviting friends and saying, "Hey, do you just want to come over for six weeks? And we're just going to watch a short little video, about fifteen minutes, and then we're just going to talk about faith and spirituality and food, and we're going to eat some stuff and, and try different foods." And okay. and people are like, "Yes, yes, please sign me up." <laughs> and so you have people who have never encountered yeah. you're learning about olive oil and saying, "Hey, could, could you take some of that and maybe pray for me?" Mm. Pray for my daughter. Pray for wow. my... And so for those who are looking for just a summer kind of study and way to reach mm-hmm. out to neighbors that's non-threatening and super joyful and fun. I love that. It's just... It's awesome. Yay. I'm going to do that maybe. <laughs> <laughs> 
Where did you film? We filmed in Grand Rapids. Okay. And um, what's really fun is at the at the beginning of each lesson, mm-hmm. uh, my husband and I, or myself and uh, my friend Jessica, are in the kitchen making a recipe that okay. ties directly into the lesson. Okay. So I love it that. literally, is it's so experiential. It's so taste and see, mm-hmm. and so. I mean, fun things like different dips or salads or baking uh, kosher matzah in under 18 minutes. Okay. Such fun activities. And so it's tactile. It's not just, yeah. I don't know, it's not a mental, it's not just a mental acknowledgement of something spiritual or faith-based, but it's like, mm-hmm. it's experiential. Yeah. Which is so fun. And kids can do it. It's just, it's all play. It's so fun. I love that. Um, yeah, I think I was thinking this morning about how uh, food is kind of like music and that it bypasses the intellect and it goes to our soul. Um, so it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, friend. You're welcome. So Thank glad you, to have you. I hope that this has given you a renewed sense of the bounty that is God, that He has always been about us living from His abundance. As you know, He is a God that has never held back on us. He did not even spare His own Son. He's given us His all, that we might live from His all. I pray that you'll taste and see that this very week. I'll talk to you soon.